This morning, no matter how life is going for you, you've got this going for you. He will never stop loving you. Church said? If you have your Bibles, you open them, please, to the 12th chapter of Mark's Gospel. Mark 12. We're going to start reading in a few moments at verse 28, Mark 12. Everybody got it? Say, got it? Not quite there yet. Say, wait. Mark 12, 28. Let's just get brutally honest. Change is difficult for most of us. Change is hard. We live in this amazingly fast-changing world, this culture of which we're a part that is changing so rapidly, and we come to church and we say, you know what, we don't want this to change. It's difficult. Change is difficult. Everything you see around you seems to be changing. I mean, when I was born in this we we didn't have things like jet airliners. We, we didn't have television. I remember going down the block when I was a little boy to see the first television that hit our street. You say, my word, how old are you? Well, let me put it this way. When, when I was born, the Dead Sea was only sick. But everything around us seems to be changing. Culture changes. The political landscape is changing, climate changing. Everywhere you look, there's, there's change going on. Words change. There are words that I can't use in the course of normal conversation that I used to be able to use because their meaning has changed so drastically. Let me give you an example. I remember when the word thongs Referred to sandals. How many of you remember that? Yeah, I, I learned that the hard way that that word has changed. Someone asked me, he said, what are you taking with you to Florida? I said, man, I'm taking nothing but T-shirts, shorts, and thongs. And my teenage granddaughter almost had a heart attack. The thought of such a thing. Everywhere around us are changing. And the question that we have to deal with, how do we in this fast-changing culture stay relevant with the unchanging message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because while everything else may be changing, the gospel of Jesus does not change. This morning, we're going to remind ourselves of some truths that never change. In the midst of the change and the tumult that you might find yourself in in your own life season, listen, this is something you can count on. This won't change. 
I might tell you that before we read it, I took a typing class when I was in the eighth grade, learned to type when I was in the eighth grade. One of the first things they did in typing class was to show you where you rest your fingers on the keyboard. Remember? A, S, D, F, J, K, L, semicolon. Remember, you know? And there's a term for what you call those keys. Those keys are called the what? The home keys. I remember taking a typing test late in the eighth grade, and I was just one key off. And I was typing fast and with great passion. And when I finished my typing test and looked down, it was gibberish. So one of the things I learned in the eighth grade was you need to check on occasion and make sure your fingers are on the home keys. At church, we're about to read the home keys for all of us who follow Jesus Christ. Because when it comes to faith, there are some things you need to check on occasion and make sure your life is on the home keys. Let me give you the context before we read it together. There's been this ongoing, escalating conflict between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. They are trying every way they can think of to bring accusation and discredit to this young Nazarene named Jesus. On this one occasion, a group of Sadducees bring to him a dilemma they don't think he can answer. Now, Sadducees was a small sect of the Jews, extremely powerful, extremely influential. Most of the high priests came out of the Sadducees. But the Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. That's how you remember it. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe in resurrection, life beyond the grave. The Orthodox Jews did, and they had sensed in Jesus he was one of those who believed in resurrection. So they come to him with this question. Teacher, you know our Jewish tradition, that if a man marries a woman and he dies before he has children with her, it's the obligation of his brother to marry her and have children with her so that the family name will continue. Well, let us tell you about a situation we're familiar with. There was this, this one guy who married this woman, and he died before they had children, and so his brother married her. As a matter of fact, there were seven brothers, and every one of them married and then died, and then their brothers, all seven of them died, and none of them had children with her, and finally she died. Now, teacher... Which one of those seven is going to be her husband in the resurrection? And Jesus looks at him and says, you guys don't get it, do you? Because you see, in the resurrection, there's not going to be giving and taking in marriage. It's going to be like the angels in heaven. He said, but besides that, you Sadducees who don't believe in life beyond the grave, do you recall that when God spoke, he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of the living, not the dead. 
There was an onlooker standing there listening to this verbal gymnastic that these two were playing. He's impressed by Jesus' answer. And he's got a burning question in his heart that I hope has been on your heart at one time or another, maybe on your heart this morning. A question that wants to sit down and have an audience with God and say, God, it's not a, not a question of obedience. I'll do what you tell me to do. I just want to know what do you want me to do? You ever had that question with God? Here is, Lord, it's not about obedience. I just don't know, should I take this job or should I not? Should I move to this city or should I not? Should, we, should, should I marry this woman or should I marry this man or not? I mean, it's not a matter of obedience. It's a matter of knowing, God, what do you want me to do? And that's the question burning in this guy. And he's listening as Jesus gives this answer, and he's impressed, and so he comes to Jesus, and he says, he says I want to ask you something. Mark 12, 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, and noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is most important, Lord, if I want to give myself to something, where should I focus my attention? I mean, Lord, I don't want to spend my life chasing after something and find out that I'm on the wrong track. I want you to tell me, which commandment should I give myself to? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. And he's about to give what is known as the Shema. The Shema. Every faithful Jew, early morning, late afternoon, would quote the Shema. Every synagogue service would begin with the shame. Today, 2013, you go to a synagogue service, they will start the service with the shema. This is the shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Home keys. Home keys. When it comes to our faith in the midst of a changing culture, folks, Here's what we're to give ourselves to. Love God. Love our neighbor. It's not complicated. It is difficult. It's not complicated. But Jesus, in essence, says, let me tell you something. When you boil it all down, here's what I'm after. Love me. Love your neighbor. And as he would say, as he would say to another lawyer trying to justify himself, saying, who is my neighbor? Jesus would finally say to him, go and do likewise. Church, that's the home keys that you and I be basing our faith on. It's the home keys. It's where we're supposed to camp out. Love God. Love our neighbor. 
in the midst of change, here's something that never changes. Love God with all your heart. The heart in the ancient world was considered the seat of affection. So God is telling us, I want you to set your affection on me. If you set your heart on someone, you set your affections on that person. 1 Samuel 16, 7. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the what? The heart. God says, here's what I'm after. I want you to love me with your heart. I want you to set your affection on me. I want you to love me with all your soul. That part of you that is, that is different from everything else in creation. That part of you that is created in God's image. He says, I want you to, I want you to love me with that part of you. I sat with one of my family members a few years ago in a restaurant in Lufkin, Texas. Luby's. <laughs> His life was coming unraveled. His marriage was coming apart. He was in a state of depression and starting to take antidepressants. And he just, he just felt like life was coming apart on him. And I sat there with him and I said to him, listen, God, when he created you, created you three dimensions as a human being. Physically. God created you physically. I said, you take good care of your physical body. You're very disciplined in the care and concern about your physical body. God created you an intellectual being. I said, here you are. You're on, you're on top of the world business-wise. You have business acumen that, that astonishes me as I watch you go about your business. But God also created a third dimension of you. And that's the spirit part of you. And when God made you, he made you with this God-shaped vacuum down in your heart. And until you fill that place with God, you'll never know the fulfillment God wants you to know. I gave him some really good advice that day. I wish I could tell you that he had taken it, but he hasn't. And his life is still in the process of unraveling. Church, I want to tell you something. That's the truth. When God made you, he made a part of you that was missing, that can be filled only by him. And until you fill that place with God, you will never know the joy and fulfillment of life he created you to enjoy. Love me with all your soul. Love me with all your mind. That intellectual part of you that, that when, when, when life stops and your thoughts turn to something, I want you to love me with that part of you that thinks on me. One of my favorite psalms in all the Bible, Psalm 63, the psalmist says this, On my bed, I remember you, and I think of you through the watches of the night. You take a compass out into the woods, and you can shake it up 
But when it stops, the needle always points what? North. It always points north. I sure hope that's north. Thank you. And God is saying, I want you to love me with that part of you that when when life shakes you up and and gets chaotic and confusing, when everything stops, I want your thoughts to turn to me. I want you to love me with that mind part of you that I gave you. I want you to love me with all your strength. That physical part of you that's able to go and do and love and serve and give and share and build and take care of. I want you to love me with that. I want you to set your affection on me. And I want you to love me with that part of you that's created in my image. And I want you to love me with that intellectual part of you that whenever life life starts shaking you around a little bit, that your thoughts turn to me. I want you to love me with that physical part of you that is able to share and show my glory to your neighbors that they might see your good works. And praise the one who's in heaven. He asked for one commandment, but Jesus gave him what? Two. He linked them together in ways they can never be separated. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Come to a place in life where you can actually put the needs and necessities of someone else's life in front of your own. Love your neighbor as yourself. One of the joys that Marcia and I are experiencing in our gaining familiarity with this congregation is to see the ways you are reaching out to love your neighbor as yourself. The trunk of treats coming up and the candlelight service that comes right before Christmas and the, the, the ways that this congregation has decided we're going to reach out into this community and say to you, we want to love you as we love ourselves. We want to put your needs ahead of our own. Church, I want to tell you something. There is nothing that moves people like the witness of a person who puts someone else's needs in front of their own. Jesus knew that, and he demonstrated that as he went to a cross. In the midst of change, in the midst of cultural change, something that never changes, the home keys for us, love God, love our neighbor. And you know something? I might warn you who may be trying to push back against the change that comes. I might warn you that maybe God has got something higher, holier, better for you if you wouldn't push so hard against it. To illustrate that, I want to tell you a preacher story. And I say it's a preacher story. If I hear a preacher story, I'll tell you it's a preacher story. Because I have no names or dates or places. It's just one of those stories. It could be made up. It could be real. I don't know. But it's a good story.
It involved a grandfather who gave to his little granddaughter as she started growing up a big, long string of colorful pop beads. Ladies, do you remember pop beads? Remember pop beads? All kinds of different colors. You could change the links, change the colors, change the, I mean, just pop them, unpop them, take some of them out, do whatever you want. He loved those pop beads. He loved them because it was a, a staple in her dressing up. Whenever she would dress up, she would always wear those pop beads. And she loved them because her granddad gave them to her, and she loved her granddad. On her 16th birthday, as the story goes, the granddad came to his granddaughter who'd had those pop beads all of her growing up years and who, who loved them. And, she, and he said to his granddaughter, I want you on your 16th birthday today, I want you to give those pop beads back to me. And she said, but, but, but why? I love my pop beads. She said, he said, just trust me, but I want you to go get those pop beads and bring them to me. And reluctantly, she went back to her bedroom and she dug around in her, in her jewelry box and she pulled out her string of pop beads and came in. And by the time she gets back to her granddad, tears are welling up in her, in her eyes and, and, and she, she kind of holds out those pop beads to him and he reaches out and takes them with one hand. And with the other hand, he lays in her palm the most beautiful strand of pearls you've ever seen. Pop beads. That's a pretty good exchange. Could it be that maybe God wants to exchange pop beads for pearls? Could it be that our resistance sometimes to change? We are resisting God's movement in our lives when He wants to exchange pop beads for pearls? I've told you about my growing up years. Oh, <laughs> this generation coming up behind us, they're a different generation. Not, not, not better, not worse, just different. Their worldview is different from our, the one, the one that we grew up in. Their worldview is just different. Their perspective is different. They're exposed to things that you and I were never exposed to growing up. Hordes of it. Multitasking was not even a catchphrase when I was growing up, and now it's the buzzword of a new generation. You, you go in one of their rooms at night, and, and you're likely to see this. A teenager's sitting on their bed or in a chair with a laptop in their lap, and they're doing homework. They've got their earphones in, listening to their iPod. The television is on, and they're texting with a friend, and it's all happening at the same time. That just makes me dizzy. When it comes to worship, there was a time years ago when I first started preaching that, that people, when they would come to church, they wanted information about God. They didn't want to sign anything. They didn't want to sing anything. They didn't want to say anything. They didn't want to give anything. just wanted to come in and sit down and say, okay, give me information about God. This generation coming up behind us, it's a whole different ballgame. They want to experience God. They want to be moved. They want to feel something. 
They, they want to come in to a worship experience and experience the power of God. And how we figure out ways to do that with this upcoming generation, with the unchanging message, the home keys of love God and love your neighbor, and how we do that and make it relevant to an upcoming generation is going to be one of the greatest challenges of the next 10 years. Let me tell you something. When the natural man connects with the supernatural God of heaven, there is something that happens that encounter that is life. We ought to do everything we can to help people experience the power of God. Why is it so quiet in here? No amens, no what? Church, we live in a changing culture. We weren't born in the days of Little House on the Prairie. We were born in this time for this generation. Now, we better get relevant with the message that is unchanging, or we're going to miss a generation. That's a little scary. Thank you. Appreciate it, Linda. It's a, it's a challenge that we must, must, must take up. Love God. Love our neighbor. Pray together. Father and our God, thank you for the reminder of where the home keys are. That when it comes to faith, when it comes to putting the full force of our lives down on something, it ought to be love you and love our neighbor. Lord, thank you for a Savior that embodied that He walked this earth. Thank you for one who sacrificed his own right, who sacrificed his own privilege. Come and walk this earth as a human being and ultimately to die for the likes of us. God, may we love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength. Would you empower us through your spirit to love our neighbors, our would you help us remember in the midst of a changing culture, we can be relevant with the message of Jesus because it is unchanging and it is relevant to every generation. Would you empower us, give us wisdom, direction, strength, follow your will, and I pray it in the powerful name of Church. Before we close today, I'd like to, to read a couple of verses out of Philippians. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension.